Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to open up to the book of Jonah. So this morning we're going to be in the book of Jonah chapter 4. So if you're here a little over a month ago or so, um, maybe remember we went through Jonah chapter 1. What I want to do today is go to the end of the book and uh, tie in some of the stuff that we didn't get to do before. So uh, if you remember when we went through Jonah chapter 1, it's kind of a story, it's a narrative, that's how it's written. So we need to, uh, we need to know how the story goes all the way through before we come into chapter 4 this morning to understand what's going on. So what I want to do is I want to do just a little bit of a review of chapter 4 and then come back in and do an overview of chapter 2, chapter 3, and then we'll come into chapter 4 here this morning. So let's just do a little bit of quick review. So if you remember from last time, and is this loud? Is this really loud? Okay, I hear buzzing or something. Okay, so if you remember from last time, uh, we, we wanted to take a look at who was Jonah? Who was this guy? Who is Jonah? And so if you remember Jonah, he was a prophet. He was a prophet of God. And we saw that he was a religious man from the nation of Israel. And we saw that he had a relationship with God and that he loved the Lord. In fact, if you sat down and you you carried out a conversation with Jonah, if you got to sit down and talk with him before he was called to leave Israel, before he was called to go to Nineveh, I'm sure he would have sat down with him and he would have told you how great his God was that he served. See, this guy, he knew everything there was to know about God to have a relationship with God. That's who this guy was. But when God spoke something to him, when, he, when God approached him and asked him to do something he didn't want to do, that's when Jonah turned. That's when Jonah rebelled. That's when Go- Jonah rejected God. That's when he rejected the call that he had placed on his life. That's when he decided who was going to run from God. When God gave him something he didn't want to do. In fact, if you remember from when we looked in chapter 1, the text tells us that he ran so hard and so fast that he ran as far as he possibly could go to get away from the call that God had for him. If you remember, he was heading towards Tarshish, which was the furthest known place that he could possibly go to get away from where God was calling him to go. And if you remember, God wasn't going to let him run. He wasn't going to continue to let him run. God was pursuing him. And we saw that God sovereignly and mercifully brought a storm on that boat that Jonah was on. And if you remember the sailors on the boat, that, those heathen sailors, those heathen sailors, were, they were afraid. They were fearing for their lives. And they were crying out to their gods, it says. And during this time, Jonah, he was asleep in the bottom of the ship. And that captain goes down and he finds Jonah and he says, Jonah, arise. Arise, sleeper. Call on your God. Maybe He'll save us. And through that whole process, they find out that that storm's because of Jonah. And through it all, Jonah ends up going overboard. He asks to be thrown overboard. And we looked at that and we thought, wow, what a neat thing. What a heroic thing for Jonah to do. But we really looked at it and thought, no, that's not what's going on. He is figuring, he's at the point in his life where he's figuring, if I die, then the message, then the mission that God has given me does not have to go to the Ninevites and the Ninevites aren't going to be saved. But as you're going to see, as we're going to see here this morning, it's not that easy. It's not that easy to get away from what God is asking him to do. God wasn't done with him yet. And so what God does, as you look at the end of chapter 1 going into chapter 2, God sends a huge fish or a huge whale or really what it says is a huge sea creature and it swallows Jonah whole. And so for three days and three nights, Jonah is sitting in the belly of this beast. 
And it's a place that he describes as a living hell. When you look at the words, the, the words that he uses to describe where he's at in Jonah chapter 2, he describes what a horrific situation he's in. And through all that, what you end up finding is he comes to a place of repentance. He comes to a place where he's worshiping the one true God again. And when he comes to that place, that whale or that fish spits him back out on the dry ground. And then you come into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, it begins with, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And what you see as you go through chapter 3 is it's Jonah's, or your God is pouring out his grace. God's pouring out His grace on Jonah. He's pouring out His grace on the Ninevites. So Jonah here, he comes into Nineveh and he preaches the Word that God's given him. And what we see is that God rescues the Ninevites. He, he redeems the Ninevites. So the people, the people there, they come to faith in, in God. They come to faith in the one true God. And from the highest to the lowest, it says... And that's where we're going to pick it up as we come into, into chapter 4 here this morning. So what's taken place in chapter 3 is the greatest revival that's ever been known in human history has just taken place. And what we're going to get to see here in chapter 4 is where Jonah's heart is at. We're going to see where Jonah's attitude is at. So if you think about it, the guy that just brought the message and the greatest revival has ever taken, that has ever taken place in human history has just happened, we're going to take a look at his attitude about it. And it's going to be in a different place rather than where, than where we would think it's going to be. And when we look at uh, Jonah chapter 4 here this morning, we'll also, the other thing that we're going to see is we're going to see the purpose of this book. We're going to see the reason of why this book was given to us. And see, this book was written as a picture for us. It's written so that we might see our, our own hearts in the life of Jonah. And as we come to the end of this book here this morning, I asked you guys a question a few weeks ago when we went through chapter 1. And I'm going to ask you the same question again. I want you to keep this in your mind as we go through this chapter here this morning. It's one of the overriding themes of the book of Jonah. So is our heart like Jonah's heart? Or is our heart like God's heart? So, so do we identify more with that self-righteous, prideful, religious Jonah who could care less about anybody else around him? Or do we identify with the merciful God who has a heart for the people that are lost, who has a heart for the nations that are lost? Take a look with me at Jonah chapter 4. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, 
It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Let's pray. Lord, I just... uh, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. I ask uh, that you would open our hearts and our minds here this morning, that none of us would be allowed to leave here without being changed. Lord, it's your word that changes us. And I pray that it's your word that comes through this morning, that your word is clear to each and every one of us. And Lord, I just uh, I pray for your guidance and direction this morning, and I just ask that you'd meet us here in this place. In your name I pray. Amen. So Jonah chapter 4. If you look at this, Jonah chapter 4 is divided into two sections. Verses 1 through 3 is section 1. Verses 4 to 11 is section 2. And so when you look at these two different sections, there's a contrast between the two. So in section 1, verses 1 to 3, what you have is you have an angry response from a self-righteous man. An angry response from a self-righteous man. In the second section, verses 4 to 11, you have a merciful response from a missionary God. So that first section, an angry response from a self-righteous man, really what that is, it's Jonah's heart. Verses 1 through 3 is Jonah's heart, and it's contrasted with verses 4 to 11, which is God's heart. So those are the two sections, Jonah's heart versus God's heart. So this first section, an angry response from a self-righteous man. Jonah here is going to give us his reason for his anger in verse 1. Look at verse 1. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So the question here is, well, what's the it? What is it that displeased Jonah? What is it that is making Jonah so irritated? It says, but it displeased Jonah. So what we got to do is we got to back up to chapter 3 and look at verse 10 to see what is the it that he's talking about. So it says in verse 10, chapter 3, it says, Then God saw their works, being the Ninevites. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them. And He did not do it. So what's the it? What is the it that is making Jonah so irritated? It's the mercy of God towards sinners. That's what's irritating Jonah. It's the repentance of the Ninevites and the mercy of God. And really, when you look at this, that should shock us. Shouldn't it? It should shock us that he is irritated that God poured out his mercy on the Ninevites. And really, it's meant to shock us. It's meant to shock us as the reader. Now, what what would you expect after the greatest revival in history? If you you were the person that brought the message and you saw the greatest revival, how would you expect to read what takes place next in here? And wouldn't you expect to read, well, now Jonah's jumping up and down for joy. That's what you would expect to read. The city of Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching, and now Jonah rejoices. That's what you would expect to see. You'd expect to see Jonah jumping up and down, clapping his heels together. He's in there discipling the people. He's in there teaching them about the one true God. But what is it? What is it that we actually see? What is it that we actually find? He's angry. He's angry. He's, 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 he's irritated with what's going on. Let me read to you verse 1 here again in the literal translation from the Hebrew. 
This is what it says in the little literal translation. It says, It was evil to Jonah with a great evil, and it burned to him. That's, that's verse 1 in the Hebrew. Let me read it again. It says, It was evil to Jonah with a great evil, and it burned to him. See, there's no stronger way to describe that his anger, how furious Jonah is. He's mad. He is completely frustrated with what is going on. He, he's, he is an angry, self-righteous man. That's who Jonah is. Now, if any of you have ever been out witnessing, and you've been pouring the gospel message into somebody, the message that God's given you to take, and you see somebody come to that saving faith in Christ, what's your response? How do you respond to that? Aren't you glad? Aren't you full of joy? See, when those of us that get to go into the jail on Saturdays, and I don't know if any of, the, of, the, of those guys are here right now, but almost every Saturday we see somebody come to Christ. We cannot help but walk out of there and just be full of joy. But here's Jonah, who just saw the greatest revival in history, the greatest missionary experience that he could ever have, and what's his response? How does he respond? It's anger, and it's not only anger, but it's anger towards God. And now as the reader, it's got to bring a question up in our mind, doesn't it? I mean, really, we've got to ask, well, what in the world is going on with this guy? How can he be here? And you almost start to feel pity for him. You kind of figure, well, how can this guy be so broken? Why doesn't he get it? And as we're going to see, what, what's going on here is... God is exposing our hearts in this as well. And that's what we're going to see as we go through this. So now this anger here, this anger of Jonah, it's shown in a few different ways as we're going to see. And first of all, it's shown through his justification for his own sin. Take a look at it in verse 2. It says, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So what's interesting here is that Jonah is expressing his angry response to God in prayer. That's what he's doing. He's trying to make this all religious. He makes his response to God like it's a good thing. And don't we do the same thing sometimes? It's interesting how we can take our religious understanding or our knowledge of God and somehow twist it and turn it and think that we are justified in what we do. This is what Jonah is doing. He's beginning to justify himself for what he's done. Look at what it says again. He says, Ah, oh Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. See, we finally get to see the real reason of why Jonah ran. And I know we cheated a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 1 and came and looked at this to look at the real reason of why he ran. But if we were just in chapter 1 and you stated chapter 1, you would think Jonah ran because he was afraid. You remember those Ninevites and those Assyrians. Those guys were cruel people. They were brutal people. So it would have been, it would have been easy to make the assumption that he's running because he's afraid for his life. But we find out here what the real reason is. And the real reason is, it's because he's a self-righteous, prideful man. He does not agree with what God is doing. That's why he ran. 
So really what he's saying here, he's saying, hey, God, I ran to protect you from doing something foolish. I ran because I know your character. I knew what you were going to do. So I was right in what I did because now look at what's happened. These Ninevites, are, they came to faith in you and now you're not going to destroy them. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I did this to save you from doing something foolish. And what he's doing though is he's beginning to justify his sin. Now what I want you to notice in this section here is that eight times in the Hebrew, he uses the personal pronoun I. So I, my, or me. Look at it again. It says, Ah, oh Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled to, previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Do you hear the pride in this guy? This is where he's at. He is a prideful man. And not only is he justifying his sin, but now what he's doing is he's blaming God for being unjust. Look at He continues on here in verse 2. Look at verse 2 again. It says, Therefore, I fled previous to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents, from doing harm. Now, if you take that verse right there and you pull it out of context from where it's at here in the book of Jonah and you place it anywhere else in the Bible, it's going to take on a different meaning. Listen to it again. Just, just take out the context that we're not even in Jonah and just listen to it again. It says, For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. You think about that verse outside of that. And, and it's a, it, it, outside of Jonah, it's taken in a very positive way, isn't it? And it is everywhere else in the Bible. This is how God describes Himself to Moses. This is how God describes Himself to Israel. He says, this is who I am. I am a kind, gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger. And these are amazing qualities of God. These are amazing characteristics of the Lord. But what Jonah is doing here, he's taking these things here and he's twisting them. This is what Jonah is saying. He's saying, I knew you. I knew your mercy. I knew your grace. I knew you couldn't help yourself but, help yourself but save those lost sinning Ninevites. So I ran to protect you from doing something that I felt was unjust. That's where Jonah's at. See, Jonah here, he, he figures that the saving of the Ninevites is unjust. It wasn't right. See, to Jonah, he was a good guy. That's who Jonah was. He had been a good guy. He had played by all the rules. He had followed all the commandments. He was a religious man. He was from the nation of Israel. He had everything right. And now God is going to save these people who don't do any of that. They don't know any of that. They're not even part of the covenant. See, he was trying to save God from being unjust. That's where his heart was at. Because he believed that he deserved God's grace. He believed that he was worthy of God's grace. Yeah, he made mistakes and he knew he made mistakes, but really deep down what he thought, he thought, I'm a good guy. That's who Jonah really thought that he was. And that is the danger 
That's the danger of religion. That's the danger of, of grace. Think about it. That we begin to take those qualities and we turn them around and we begin to think that, that, that we are worthy of that grace. That's the danger. That God's lucky to have me on His team. That's the attitude that Jonah has. That we follow all the rules. That we get up each morning and we do our devotions. That we get up each morning and that we read God's Word. That we get up each morning and that we pray. Are we doing those things because we love the Lord? Are we doing those things because we want to grow in the Lord? Are we doing them because we want to just check it off and say, yeah, I did my thing for today? Because that used to be me sitting back there. I used to make sure I could get eye contact with Jackie so he knew I was here today. That was me. I was a good guy. I wasn't doing all these things that everybody else was doing. But I would check it off the list and go out and live my life the rest of the week. Not that I was doing anything bad, but I was living it for me. And I justified it. So why are we doing these things? It's good to do those things. It's good to read the Word every day. It's good to pray every day, but why are we doing them? I gave you guys a story. It probably has been over a year since I've given you guys a story in here. So I'm going to do it again this morning. And there's a reason why. Because there's a young man sitting in the back row back there in my Sunday school class um, who challenged me last week. I like to give them math problems. And I've given this math problem in here before. Um, but I like to challenge them. I like, to, I like them to do math through the Word to figure out what is going on, what's being said here, so that they're looking at all the observations of what's going on. And this is a simple one. This question is, if you live till you're 80 years old, and you could read from the day you're born, and you, and you read a chapter a day until you're 80 years old, how many times are you going to get through the Bible? And the answer is about 24 times. That's it. Which is kind of sobering, because none of us could read when we were born. So for those of us that are halfway there, you've got 12 times left if you get to live to your 80. And that's if you read a chapter every day. But what amazes me, and the reason I brought this up, is last week during Sunday school, I started the message, we were in Genesis, when Joseph is in jail and Pharaoh has the dreams with the seven skinny cows and the seven fat cows. And this young man back here gives my message. And I let him go for about 30 minutes and listen to it. And he tied it to the New Testament with Jesus. I'm sitting there listening to this guy, and I stopped him, and I said, how do you know this? And his answer, without even hesitating, he said, oh, I read this 24-7. He's nine years old. And it's not the first time he's done this to me. We met him in Fyther at the Good News Club, and now he's coming here on the bus ministry because he did not grow up in a home where they go to church. He's nine years old. And so then he pointed out to me, I gave him this problem last week, and he says, well, I've, I'm on my 18th time through the Bible. He's nine years old, guys. I mean, that challenges me. And, it, and the thing is, I asked him, well, when could you start reading? He said, well, at five, but I didn't get my Bible until I was seven. So in two years, he's on his 18th time through. That's what the Word does. This guy, he, um, I asked him this morning if I could talk, talk about him, and uh, he said yes. But... Um, He's amazing. He challenges me. He should challenge us. He's doing it for the right reasons, shouldn't we? See, but Jonah here, Jonah is not doing them for the right reasons. He's checking it off the list. See, God here, what God is doing with Jonah, He's giving us a vivid picture here of the danger, the danger of religion. 
He's giving us a picture of the danger of taking that grace and somehow thinking that we are worthy of that grace. And not seeing it through His eyes. Not seeing it through God's eyes. That we are a trophy of His grace and that we don't deserve any of it. See, Jonah, as we're going to see in this this chapter, Jonah wanted to rejoice when God's character served him. But when God's character called him to do something that he thought he didn't deserve, when God's character called him to do something that was out of his comfort zone, that's when he became angry. That's when he thought he was justified in his anger. Look at this verse again one more time before we move on. It says, For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. That word loving kindness is said in the Hebrew. It's the closest thing that we have to the agape in the Greek. And it, it's, it's that steadfast love, it's that covenant love, that faithful love, that unconditional love, that self-sacrificing love. And what Jonah's doing here, Jonah thinks that Nineveh, that the Ninevites had no right to experience that covenant faithful love of God. That only the Israelites should experience that. That's the mindset of Jonah. That is where Jonah was at. And we're going to see that that anger goes so deep as we get into verse 3 here, that, that his, we see that his anger turns to martyrdom. Look at verse 3. It says, Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah is saying, hey, I would rather die than see my enemies come to be saved. I would rather die than see God's covenant love come to his enemies. He's thinking, man, everything is backwards, God. My nation's supposed to receive your, your love, not these Ninevites. These Ninevites, they're supposed to receive your wrath. These Ninevites, they're supposed to receive your judgment. God, why are you doing it this way? This isn't how it's supposed to be. See, that's what Jonah's saying. That's where Jonah's mind is at. And the thing is, do you begin to hear that echo in your own heart when you listen to Jonah? And you just think about it for a minute. Do we ever say, God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? God, why are you allowing those people to get away with that? Why are you allowing this to happen? And we start to think, Lord, hey, those people deserve your judgment. Those people deserve your condemnation. Those people should be wiped off the face of the earth. We'd be better off if they weren't around. Have you ever thought that? Because it's the same thing. It's that selfishness. It's that self-righteous pride that so easily creeps up into us. And Jonah's a picture of us. And what we really get to see here in chapter 4 is we get to see the raw, exposed picture of what is really going on in our hearts. That's what God wants us to see. We just hide it a whole lot better than Jonah does. And what's amazing here, when you look at this wording in verse 3, it's the same words that Elijah uses in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Elijah says the same thing. He says, Lord, take my life from me. But what's Elijah's reason for doing it? See, Elijah, he's saying it in a righteous way. See, Elijah was taking a message to the people of Israel, calling them to repent, to turn from their idolatry. And and that message was not bringing about the effect that he hoped it would. The nation of Israel was not repenting of the idolatry like he had hoped they would be. So what Elijah's doing, he's, he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, take my life from me because I have failed you. My message has failed the people and they've not repented. 
So Elijah, what he's doing, he's, he's saying this in a righteous way. And here we have Jonah, who's using the exact same words, and he thinks he's a martyr. He's saying, I was trying to accomplish your will, God, but you got in the way and you messed everything up. I would have preached. I would have preached judgment to the Ninevites. I would have preached judgment to the Assyrians. But no, you had other plans. You decided that you wanted to be merciful instead. So go ahead and just take my life because I'm done. That's where Jonah's at. He throws this martyrdom syndrome out over and over again. And it's kind of hard for us to sit here and think. We think, why? There is no way that I would ever say that. You're right, Raven. We would. That's my man. <laughs> we would. We would do it. We, we can sit there and we look and we think, Jonah, you, what a messed up guy this is. But that's what the author wants us to do. He wants us to realize how messed up it is with Jonah's response to the mercy and grace that God has just poured out on the Ninevites. And we look at Jonah and we say, man, I'm glad I'm not like him. But the reality is, that that selfishness that is exposed in Jonah's life is really in our hearts as well. And maybe we don't express it in anger like Jonah. Maybe we don't tell God to take our life. Maybe we express it in apathy. And if you think about it, Jonah didn't love his neighbors. He hated them. Do we love our neighbors? Maybe we don't hate them, but do we love them? Maybe we don't hate the people that are around us, but do we love them? Are we willing to take God's word to them? Do we intercede for them? Do we weep for them like Christ wept for the people in Jerusalem? Do we weep for them like God's heart does? Do we intercede for them praying, God, save them? And not with the attitude that Jonah does that we're going to see. Because what does Jonah do? Jonah, after he's done preaching, he goes out and sits on the hillside. And he sits there and waits. He wants to see the fireworks go down. He's saying, hey, I gave the message, now it's their turn. Look, at he continues on. Now we're going to get to see, we're going to move into that second section in verse 4. We're going to get to see that merciful response from a missionary God. So we saw that anger. We saw that self-righteous response because of the pride in a man's heart. Now we're going to get to see God's heart, a merciful heart. Look at verse 4. It says, then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Now, it's hard to show what's going on in the Hebrew here in the English. We don't see it all. But the word evil and the word good are throughout this whole section of Scripture. And this is one of those places where the word good is used. It says, it is, is it right for you to be angry? That word right is good in the Hebrew. So you can read it as, is it good for you to be angry? So what's interesting here is that what Jonah saw as evil, God saw as good. So Jonah sees the Ninevites being saved, God's mercy, God's grace being poured out on the Ninevites, and he thinks it's evil. And God here is showing him that it's good. See, for us, sin is when we hate what God loves, and we, when we love what God hates. Sin means that the alignment of our heart is, not, or is in the opposite direction of God's heart. And this is exactly the place where Jonah's at. He hates what God loves. And he loves what God hates. He hates it that God's mercy was poured out on the Ninevites. And what I want you to see here is that Jonah does not even respond to the question that God's given him. So what we're going to see in the section, second section of Scripture is we're going to see that God gives Jonah three questions. 
and an object lesson. And this is the first question, and Jonah doesn't even respond to it. But look at what he does do. Verse 5, it says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. So it's interesting to me here that Jonah leaves. God didn't tell him to leave. God did not tell him to go out of, out of Nineveh. God didn't say, hey, you can go now, you're done. He was still supposed to be preaching in Nineveh. And he left. And it's possible he was supposed to be discipling those people. It's possible that he was supposed to be teaching them about God. But what does he do? He says, I'm done. You didn't do things my way. Things didn't go the way I planned, so I'm done. I'm out of here. So he walks out of the city. And he goes and he sits on a hill and he makes a shelter for himself. And that probably wasn't a very good shelter because we're going to see that God's going to make him a better one in just a minute. But he gets under that shelter and he sits in there and he waits for the city to burn. Because he's probably thinking, hey, I know who these Ninevites are. I know who these Assyrians are. This repentance can't last for very long. And when they turn and go back to their other ways, then the fireworks are going to come and I'm going to have the best seat in the house. That's probably what he's sitting there thinking. So what we really get to see here is we see that Jonah's heart has not changed. Through the whole process of the whole story, his heart hasn't changed. And really, we can have that same mentality as well. I mean, yeah, we can take the word and we can tell our neighbors, we can tell our coworkers, whoever, we can tell them the word and then we can say, hey, I did my job. I told them. Now I'm going to sit back and wait and see what happens. That's what Jonah's doing. Do we do that? Do we sit back and wait and happen? Or do our hearts break for the lost? Do we intercede for them? Do we continue to pour into them? Don't give up on them. Are we loving those that God has called us to? Are we loving those that God has placed around us? Are you a missionary in those places telling them about God? See, that is God's heart. We're to be a missionary wherever we are at. But Jonah, what's he doing? He's just sitting here and watching so what God has done with this question, he's, he's exposed Jonah's heart. So now what he's going to do is he's going to give him an object lesson. Look at verse 6. And it says, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So this plant here, this plant was prepared by God or appointed by God. And it's the same word that was used to the storm back in chapter 1. And it's the same word that's used to the fish at the end of chapter 1. So what we see, we see God is sovereign in this story. So he sovereignly causes this plant to grow. Now we do not know what kind of a plant it is. And when you look in the commentaries and stuff, there's arguments of what type of plant it is. But really, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Who cares what type of plant it is? This plant grew up overnight and became shade. It's a supernatural plant. And it, it, it grows up and it covers Jonah and it provides shade for him. And literally what it says here in the Hebrew, it literally saves him. Look at, look at verse 6 again. It says, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him. That word deliver in the Hebrew is hasil, which means to save. So you could read it this way. You could read it, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to save him. To save him from what? It says to save him from his misery. Well, when you look at that word misery in the Hebrew, it's ra'at, which means evil. 
It's saving him from his evil. That is literally what it's reading here. Read it again. It says, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to save him from his evil. See, God here, He's providing an agent of salvation for Jonah. He's providing an agent to save him. And now, Jonah's comfortable. So how does he respond? Look at that next part in verse 6. It says, so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. He rejoiced. He's rejoicing with great joy. So think about it. This whole time, through the whole book of Jonah, Jonah has been a miserable guy. He's an angry guy. He's a bitter guy. And then all of a sudden, this plant grows and he's rejoicing. Why is he so excited about this plant? It's because he finally feels like God is giving him what he deserves. He's, finally, he's, he's thinking, yeah, God is finally responding to me. Finally, God is giving me comfort. And this is what Jonah wanted in the first place. He wanted comfort. He never wanted to leave. So because the shade is comfort for him, he finally thinks he's getting what he deserves. Now look at verse 7. It says, But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. So there's that word again, prepared. It's the same thing as appointed. So what we see is God is sovereignly. He is sovereign. He is in control. God sends this agent of destruction to help shape Jonah for who he wants him to be. So the plant dies. But look, it's going to get worse. Look at verse 8. It says, And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. So there's that word again, prepared or appointed. We see God's sovereignty again, and God's sovereignty throughout this whole book. Now, I don't know if any of us completely understand what that wind would be like. Maybe some of you do. I don't. Looking it up and researching it, what they claim that wind would be like, it's a hot wind where the temperature rises rapidly and the humidity drops quickly. Um, it would be full of sand and dust particles, so his eyes would be irritated. And they say that you begin to faint, you begin to hallucinate, and you become dizzy in these types of winds. So that's where Jonah's at. That's what's going on with Jonah here at this point. And look at his response in the second part of verse 8, he asks that he might die. Look what it says. It says, it is better for me to die than to live. And see, as soon as Jonah's comfort's gone, he's angry again. As soon as his comfort's gone, he's bitter again. So Jonah's asking God, he's saying, why would you take my comfort away? And one of the questions that the, that the author is wanting us to ask of ourselves here, is there anything in our lives that we love more than the people who don't know Jesus? Is there anything in our lives that we love more than God being glorified by people coming to faith in Christ? And when we ask ourselves that question, a lot of times that answer, that idol that's in our lives is comfort. That's what's going on with Jonah. Yeah, God, I, I just want to be comfortable. Don't ask me to do anything that's out of my comfort zone. Don't, don't ask me to do anything that I don't want to do. If I'm comfortable, then I'm okay. So think about it. What if you're having a conversation with somebody that doesn't know who Christ is? Whatever. You're talking about sports. Whatever it may be. And you guys have all probably been in these conversations before when you know the door turns and the door opens and you say, oh, here's an opportunity to bring the Bible into this conversation. What are you going to do? 
what's going through your mind, you know at that point, I can walk through that door and yeah, it's probably going to be a little uncomfortable. Or I can just stay in my comfort zone and just keep talking about sports. See, God is calling us to step out of our comfort zone. He's calling us to step out of our comfort zone for the sake of others. So are you willing? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone for the sake of others who do not know who Jesus is? So that God gives Jonah another question in verse 9. It says, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. So again, here's that martyr complex of this guy. You, you really start to pity this guy. You figure, how in the world could he miss the boat? This guy is off his rocker. Look at verse 10. It says, But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. So what God is saying, God's saying, You have had compassion for this inanimate object, this plant, that you had nothing to do with. You didn't plant it, you didn't grow it, you didn't water it, you had nothing to do with it. And yet you are so distressed over the loss of the plant that you want to die. Why? That's what God is trying to get Jonah to ask of himself. Why? Why are you so distressed over this plant? Is it because you lost your comfort? Is it because it represented that God was on your side? And then he jumps right into the third question, and this is the big question. That he leaves Jonah with. Verse 11 says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? That word pity there means to spare. And it's used specifically of a commander who would, who would uh, spare a subordinate who was guilty. So it would be like a general who had somebody underneath him that did something wrong and yet offers him compassion instead of the consequences that are due him. And look at God. He goes on and God says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? He's pointing out to Jonah that this is a huge city. It's upwards of a million people there. He's pointing out to them that this is a great city. He's showing them there's a lot of people there. And he's saying, Shouldn't I show mercy to these people because if something doesn't happen to these people if something doesn't intervene these people are going to spend eternity without me shouldn't I care about them shouldn't I have compassion on them that's what he's trying to get Jonah to realize and he says the 120,000 he's saying Jonah don't you even care for the innocent what God is doing here with Jonah is he's using an argument with him from the lesser to the greater. He's showing him, he's showing Jonah that the plant is the lesser. And yet he's saying, your heart broke for the plant because it's been destroyed. Should you not have mercy and pity on the people that are made in my image? That's what he's asking Jonah to do. And so the question here that's left for us is what about us? See, the book ends right here. We do not know what happened to Jonah. And it's left that way for a reason, so that we can put ourselves into this question. What about us? What are we going to do? See, we don't know what happened to Jonah. A lot of people speculate that he repented at this point, went back to Israel and wrote all this down, so that we wouldn't follow in the same footsteps as him, but we don't know. See, Jonah, whoever the author is, does not want us to walk in the same path as Jonah. They do not want us to have the same heart. He's saying, don't be like me. But instead, have a heart of God. Have a heart of mercy. Have a heart of compassion for the people that are lost. See, God's heart is a heart of mercy. 
God's heart is a heart of compassion. Jonah, he loved his people. He loved his ways. He loved his culture. But he could really give a rip about anybody else around him. He even went so far as to say that it was evil that God poured out his compassion on somebody else. So do we. Do we see people that are around us that need Jesus? Because that does not come natural. It comes from a heart that God gives us for mercy. It comes from a heart that God gives us for compassion. See, does our heart weep for those that don't know Jesus? See, we've got to engage in those areas where God has called us to. That's why He's placed us there. We've got to love those that are around us. And so we're left with that question. The question that we've heard many times as you look at the book of Jonah, it's one of the overriding themes of the whole book. Do we have a heart like Jonah does? Or do we have a heart like God does? That's the question. What's more important to us, our comfort or the call? Which one? Which one are we going to choose? See, Jonah here, he was a picture of someone who hated leaving his comfort because he thought he deserved better. But really, what's the gospel story all about? The gospel story is a story of Jesus leaving all of his comfort for us. He left heaven to live as a man. He lived that perfect life to redeem us. He died the death on the cross that we deserved. And he rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. So do we love our comfort? Or do we love the call? Do we have a heart like Jonah or do we have a heart like God? See, there are people out there who do not know this story. They do not know the gospel message. And what have we been called to do? It's the Great Commission, right? We have all been called to go and tell. That's the message that God has called us to do. So where are our hearts at? That's the question I want you guys to go home with and think about. Do you have a heart more like Jonah? Or do you have a heart more like God? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, I just uh, I thank you for this time that we have. I thank you for the freedom that we have to come and meet together in a place like this. Lord, I know uh, many times we take it for granted. Many times we, just, we, we come to these types of places and we, we're checking it off the list. And I pray that we wouldn't do that. I pray that we would come with an open heart, sincerely wanting to know who you are, trying to know the unknowable God. Lord, I pray as we go that you would challenge us, that uh, your word would just dig deep in our hearts, and if there's something that you're poking us with, that you would not relent, that you would continue to push us until you bring us to where you want us to be, home with you. And Lord, I just uh, I pray that our hearts would break for those that are around us that are lost just like your heart breaks, that we wouldn't have contempt for them like Jonah did. But that we would answer the call that you've placed on us to step out of our comfort zone. It's easy to just sit there in the pew and make eye contact with the pastor and say, yeah, I did my thing. I'm good. But Lord, I pray that you would break us to see those that are lost around us, Lord, that we would have a heart of compassion like you do a heart of mercy like you do, that we would want to see those that are around us that are perishing come to know who you are. Lord, because once it's too late, it's too late. Lord, I pray that we would not pass any of those opportunities by, but that we we would just seek to glorify you 
in everything that we do. Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, I pray as we go that you keep your hand of protection over us. Lord, for those that are in the mountains, that you'd bring them safely back here today. Lord, I thank you for this time. In your name I pray. Amen.